Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're excited to be joined by Bill Kubley, the CEO and founder of Landscapes Unlimited. And Bill has been involved in the golf course construction business for more than 40 years. The reason we decided to have Bill on is to talk about the construction of Aaron Hills, the course outside of Milwaukee that is hosting the U.S. Open this year. Bill, thanks for joining us. And before we talk a little bit about Aaron Hills, what has 2017 been like for Landscapes Unlimited? What are some things you're excited about in the golf business this year? Well, uh, for Landscapes Unlimited, and our you know our main business is building golf courses, uh, but we also manage and own some golf courses. Uh, it's been a wonderful year. I, our volume is probably the best it's been since 2007 or eight when the market, you know, kind of collapsed. And we're, uh, you know, there's very few new golf courses being built, but we're building several, and uh, we probably have 25 or 30 projects under construction right now. Many of them are uh, renovation projects, bunker projects. Some are absolute blow-ups where the course is it's really a new construction, even though it's on an existing golf course. But, no, we're, we're really excited about the future for, for our company and, and golf in general. Speaking of energy and excitement, uh, Aaron Hills is hosting the U.S. Open. Your company built that course. What type of uh, jolt is that for a company like yours when you get to host an event like this on a property that you guys know so well? Well, you know, considering that there's really only been one other uh, modern-day golf course that has hosted the U.S. Open, uh, there's, uh, and we didn't build that one. That was Chambers Bay. It's pretty unique to be one of the builders of a course that has been given the Open and has had the U.S. Amateur. And, uh, you know, historically they do the Opens on uh, historical golf courses, some public, some private. And so it's, a real, it's been a real unique experience for us, and, and I was still pretty active day to day in my business when we did that one and since I'm a Wisconsin kid I I got up there quite a bit uh, to, to really feel feel the golf course see what was happening and to work with the architects as well your company has accomplished a ton since you started it but did you ever think that one of your courses would get this opportunity uh, you know I, I probably really didn't give it any thought way back in the early days I probably wasn't aware that US open golf courses uh, were mainly older courses uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think it gives us a big boost. It gives us a, a level of pride that uh, not too many other golf course builders uh, can can say that they've built a U.S. Open course, just in the same way that, uh, you know, we're proud when we've renovated several of the U.S. Open golf courses uh, in the past. What was your reaction when you first stepped foot on the Aaron Hills land or you heard that maybe that land was going to be used for a golf course? Well, I met Bob Lang there probably way back in the early 2000s, and uh, Bob was the developer at the time. And th the site was uh, just unbelievable. I, my grandmother uh, had lived in the same area. She lived in Delafield, Wisconsin, which is just south of uh, the area where Aaron Hills is. And so I was very familiar with the Kettle Moraine land, uh, what I'd call sinkhole kind of land that didn't, didn't always drain, but just a real unique, uh, almost uh, Irish-Scottish look to it, gently rolling, but uh, it's like the, uh, the glacier did some uni unique things to this land when it went through. And, uh, I mean, it, uh, it, it was, I said, this, boy, a golf course has to be built here, just in the same way that I did the first time I set uh, foot on the Sandhills out here in Nebraska where we just had to build golf. Yeah, that was, that was my next question, actually. How, how does the Aaron Hill site compare to the, the Sand Hill site and the vibe around, around those places? 
Well, it's really totally different. Uh, if When you think about it, the sand hills is pure, pure sand, uh, no trees to speak of, uh, windswept areas. Uh, I mean, I think this Kettle Moraine area where their Aaron Hills is is as unique as the sand hills, maybe more unique in that there's so little land that is like that. The sand hills of Nebraska, and the, that part of the country is just a massive area, very remote whereas Kettle Moraine is just uh, just unique settings. We have some, you have some stiff grades. You have some, some flat areas. You have just, it really offers a little bit of everything, plus you have vegetation. There are trees in the surrounding area, even though most of the trees uh, uh, have either been cut down or uh, it, this was built in an area that was kind of farm field, so didn't have trees there uh, at all. I think a lot of people listening to this, are wondering, how does a company like yours become involved in, in this type of project? In this case, it was kind of ironic. I, I was with uh, Herds and Fry. Uh, Mike Herds and Dana Fry host a golf event every year for their customers and friends, and we, uh, we played in that every year. And we, I was playing in the event uh, up in Canada uh, at a course that they had done up there, Devil's Pulpit and Devil's Paintbrush, and lo and behold, they brought Bob Lang with them and I got to play golf with Bob uh, and, and with Ron Witten. Actually, was in our foursome, too, because Ron had already visited the site. And so this was the first time I met uh, Bob Lang. And, I mean, we just kind of hit it off. When, when I found out that he had purchased my great-grandmother's my great farm in Del- just south of Delafield I, uh, and had actually had a movie produced there, I mean, the stars were lining up for, for us to build this golf course. And this was probably probably nearly two years before the golf course was ever built. So kind of a unique way that happened, but it was because of our experience with Herdson and Fry uh, that uh, really got made us uh, uh, have the opportunity to have that introduction with Bob Lang. How does a project of this scope start? What are the early days like? I mean, how do you organize your crew and equipment? What do you bring in there when, when you start building a golf course of this caliber? Normally, you bring in the heavy equipment. You've got big scrapers and earth movers and big, big dozers. But, you know, in the case of Aaron Hills, uh, this golf course got laid out, and Mr. Lang uh, mowed out these fairways for could have been several years before we actually set foot on the property. So the golf course actually looked like a golf course before we got started. We did not use a scraper. We really had to move very, very little dirt. Uh, the golf course was kind of shaped in place. In fact, I would tell you that uh, 90% of the fairway areas are exactly the way they laid in nature. Uh, so we really didn't have to disturb the fairways. We mainly had to build tees, greens, features, bunkers, things like that. So we used smaller equipment, probably a mid-sized bulldozer like a D6 on down to smaller machines and tractors and uh, probably had about uh, 15 to 20 people on the site working on the construction, and then probably another seven or eight, nine people working on the irrigation, which is a big part of the project, and we do all of that work as well. Yeah, what is it like assembling the, the team of people that you're going to have on the, on the ground there during construction? How much thought do you put into it, and what was it like finding the mix for Aaron Hills in particular? Well, at Aaron Hills, we, uh, we used one of our superintendents, his name... Uh, is Steve Posler to uh, basically ramrod the job. Uh, 
Steve had probably built three or four other golf courses for Herds and Fry in the past, and they really liked dealing with them. So you you kind of lock into the personalities that are there. And uh, the same with uh, with the shaper. They they actually brought in another shaper to help us shape the course along with our own shapers. And uh, again, you line those personalities up. Uh, our irrigation crew. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. We're there with Mike Herds and. Uh, the first visit I made, and and with irrigation, he, he needed a specialist that wasn't gonna. We didn't want to put in way too many sprinklers. Mike actually cut the system back to about a double row system, mainly because they didn't want to overwater the golf course, which is rare. You know, in a, in a day and era of more and more and more sprinklers to keep everything green, Mike actually wanted the fairways green but off color green, and as it went out into the rough, it actually got toasty and a little browner to have that more natural look. But uh, So we brought in an irrigation guy that, that could do that for him as well. How much had you worked with fescue, if at all, before this project, and what considerations did you have to make knowing that the fairways were going to be fescue? Great question, uh, and, a, and a big history for a part for, uh, for this golf course at Aaron Hills. The, uh, the Sandhills golf course in Nebraska is fine fescue, and uh, First of all, it's it's not it's a it's a tough golf course, golf grass to get established uh, with in an area that has erosion, um, and it's also a, a very tough golf course or very tough grass to uh, put cart traffic on uh, that can't take a lot of traffic. So if you were going to plant fine fescue on a course where you were going to do twenty or thirty thousand rounds of golf a year, it's it's the absolute wrong grass. But for Aaron Hills, it's a it's hard and fast. That's what they you know that the fairways would be hard and fast, and that's that link style approach that they like to have on a course like this. So that was their choice of grasses. And when uh, again, Mike Herdson and I were out there, uh, it was the same day we're talking about the irrigation. The soil underneath Aaron Hills is very rocky, and mainly small gravel rock, like one inch, two inch, half inch rock. And we knew that if we brought, if we put a disc in there or a plow like you normally would to loosen up the soil and get it ready for grass, if you did that, all that rock was going to come to the top, and we would have been driving ourselves nuts trying to clean that rock out of the soil, uh, and we never would have gotten it totally cleaned up. So, Mike's, Mike and I put our heads together. It was, I think, Mike's idea that was, well, let's not disturb the ground. It was almost you've heard about no-till farming where they really don't plow up the ground. Well, that's what we did here at Aaron Hills. Since most of this land was exactly the way it was in nature, as I said, we didn't have to disturb the fairways, we actually went in and killed all the native grass with Roundup. Probably had to spray it two or three times. We then rolled it with a heavy, heavy roller to just kind of get the little imperfections out of the ground and to get it kind of an even, even keel so that it would be fairly flat, fairly smooth. And then on top of that, we probably on the 5% that maybe had an old roadway through it or an old path, we did have to take a tractor in to smooth it out a little bit. But the, the key was Mike and Dana wanted all of the imperfections in the fairways left there so that this golf course actually looked like one of the old types of golf courses that was just discovered. So by, by doing this, we didn't bring the rock to the top, which saved us some work, and, and, and it also at the same time allowed those little wrinkles to stay in the ground, which is what 
was so important. It's really hard to recreate those. Um, and, and then we, we triple slit seeded fine fescue into this dead natural turf. And what it did then, too, as well, is we had a, a built-in mulch. Uh, it was the seed was protected. It was covered. I mean, it couldn't have worked better. I mean, it was, it was a, by putting our heads together, we came up with a solution better than probably had ever been done on a, a golf course fairway grassing before. Is that tough to make that decision to, to not move a lot of earth? I think a lot of people that work on projects of any kind want to put their own stamp or imprint on it. Was that a shift of mindset for everybody to kind of just let it go and let the land take care of itself? Almost every golf course architect would tell you the best golf courses are those that you can you almost discover that the land is so perfect you don't have to do much for it and much with it. And, you know, of course, Kerr Crenshaw do a lot of that. They, they call them minimalist. Tom Doak does a lot of that. Uh, Dana and Mike had done a lot of that, uh, maybe up in Canada at, at the paintbrush and the pulpit. So wherever they can avoid doing a lot of earthwork, that's what is done. You know, typically with a lot of the golf courses that were done in the last 30 years, uh, they were housing development golf courses, and you needed to move a lot of dirt in order to build up the lots. Uh, or, or you'd maybe get a site that really wasn't conducive to golf, so you had to create it. So the key is, if you've got a great site, why mess with it? Uh, Sandhills could be is exactly the same way. I mean, that golf course really was there, and uh, most of the greens were, probably 14 of the greens are exactly the way they laid in nature. And You can say the same thing pretty much for Aaron Hills. What was the timetable for the project like? What do you remember about the weather, and what were some unexpected challenges or obstacles you had to face dur- during the construction of it? Time frame-wise, I I think we started first thing in the spring, uh, and typically on a Wisconsin-type site up north when it's kind of minimalist golf like that, uh, we we finished the golf course that fall um, with the seeding, but then there's the grow-in period, and and I really can't remember if it opened that next season or the season later. I think Bob wanted to get it open, so he probably opened it, but then he – he made some tweaks and adjustments to the golf course even after the course had been open. So, you know, your typical golf course in the Midwest, you start in the spring and you're done seeding by mid-September of that same year. The bunkers at Aaron Hills are pretty nasty. I can speak from personal experience having played there last summer. Did you have to do a lot of shaping to create those, or were those also right there in front of everybody? No, those those bunkers had to be shaped. In fact, we had a uh, a bunker specialist. Uh, we they call them just they uh, they've gotten really creative with these. Uh, they're, they're a small backhoe, and they have a knuckle bucket on it with a a twisting backhoe bucket, so you can really get creative. And so we had one guy that pretty much did all of that bunker work uh, for the architects, and they would come out and approve it and make changes. Um, and the whole idea, as I'm sure you discovered when you were there playing, is that the, you know you don't have fine turf right up to the edge of the sand in very many places. It's it's longer grass, but it's wispy. It's uh, but it's the look of that golf course. But there will be some guys that get some lies during the U.S. Open around those bunkers that won't be real happy. What were the areas outside the fairways? Like when you discovered them, did you at the time envision them as native areas all grown up and colorful like they are now, or did that take some time to visualize what, what that part of the golf course would look like? Well, because, because this golf course was so natural and it laid fallow for uh, several years before we started construction, the native grasses, all those areas outside of the fairways and the initial rough, um, I thought were beautiful the way they were. I mean, it was a lot 
lot of nature, natural grasses that you'd see in, in that part of Wisconsin. Well, after the course was completed, uh, Mike Hurdson, who is a very, he's a naturalist, he's into native grasses, he's into pure, pure uh, link style golf. Mike decided that this golf course would look better if the, the deep rough, the rough that you're really not playing out of, was a very pure, consistent look. So Mike went in and, and uh, had the client, had Bob Lang, I think at the time, kill all of the native grass, and they went through the same process we did in the fairways where they totally overseeded all of that native once it, once it had died to a, to a fine fescue. So what you're seeing out there in the rough is a pure stand of fine fescue in most of the areas, which is also very unique for golf. What was it like finishing the project, and did you go to the opening day, or what do you remember about some of the early returns on, on the work you guys did? Uh, yeah, I wasn't there for the opening day, but I got there the, the first week it was open, and, I mean, it was, boy, it really kind of opened to mixed reviews. Uh, you know, when, when, the golf, when every golf course initially opens, it's not 100% conditioned the way that it's going to be or how it's going to look in a year or two. Uh, I mean, Aaron Hills looked really good when it opened, but it uh, I think it caught a few people off guard how difficult this course could be. It's really not for the faint of heart. Um, I mean, a, a 25 handicapper might not really like it out there, especially if you don't hit the ball straight. The, uh, the approaches to these greens, there's a lot of perched greens surrounded by all these bunkers that, you know, if you're a, a municipal golf uh, course player, you're 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 going to see something here that you haven't seen before. So it's, uh, I mean, my it wasn't a rude awakening to me. I was so excited to see this golf course open. I was so excited for Bob Lang and and the whole team for Mike and Dana and for Ron Witten. Uh, I mean, it's it's a testament to them that this golf course was built, and and especially when you think uh, something we haven't talked about. This golf course was built. Uh, at a, a very reasonable budget, the golf course itself. Uh, so in an era when golf courses are being built for seven, eight, ten, fifteen million dollars, I mean, I would tell you that Aaron Hills in round numbers probably was only it was under three and a half million dollars to build the golf course itself. Did you realize that that would be the the budget going into it, or is that just how it played out with the land and some of the uh, things you did not have to do? No, the, in the beginning, uh, I mean, this golf course, we had to put put together a, an estimate for for Bob Lang, and and uh, that's right where we were at in that three million dollar range. And uh, there were some some things that were uh, adjusted in both directions. So I think we ended up in that three or three and a half million dollar range. So that's it's just it's it's what minimalism does. I mean, it it you don't have to move a lot of dirt. Uh, you still have to do greens construction. There was very little sod laid on that golf course because it's all fine fescue, and there's it was mainly fine fescue in the fairways, so it uh, it's really hard to find fine fescue sod. So it was all seeded. So those are the things that cost a lot of money. There aren't a lot of cart paths out there, as we think of cart paths. Cart paths are expensive. So really, all the high ticket items were 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 uh, avoided in this project just because of the type of course that it was. This might be a difficult question to answer because it's a bit hypothetical, but if you were to build a course like Pebble Beach or Oakmont or Wingfoot or some of the other U.S. open sites today, how much would that cost? What would be the upfront cost to do something like that in this era? Well, I mean, I think Chambers Bay, and I, I'm, I'm going to just pick a number off the top of my head. I, Chambers Bay had to be 
in the uh, eight to twelve million dollar range to build that. Um, if you were trying to build Pebble Beach today, again, I don't know how much dirt they had to move, but a, a lot more a lot more irrigation is needed there. You know, you, you'd probably be talking, uh, you know, ten ten twelve ten to twelve million dollars. Uh, Tory Pines, uh, we remodeled Tory Pines for the open a uh, few few years back, and I mean the renovation alone was probably four or five million dollars, and you know with that golf course. Uh, you probably would have been talking twelve, fifteen million dollars to build it today. You mentioned that there was some criticism of the golf course at Aaron Hills after it opened. How do you and your people handle that criticism? Does it does it get to you when you put so much uh, sweat and effort into making a property open and getting it ready, or is it something that the longer you've been in the business, the more you learn how to ignore? Well, when I talked about criticism, I just think it was mainly for the golfer that wasn't quite ready for that type of a course that might might not have liked what they saw when they got there. I mean, they would have loved the look, but it's uh, it's mainly that it's demanding. And and I don't have a problem with it personally at all or our company. I mean, we build what uh, what the architects design, and uh, we were very proud of what we built. And uh, obviously, it got the U.S. Open, so. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it was a, it was a great design and and a great uh, venture put together by the by Bob Lang. At what point did you realize that maybe you had a course that was going to develop into something special and could maybe host a U.S. Open? Was there a point during the construction, before, during, or after it, where you where you realized that that maybe it could happen? I th- I think they were aiming to build a world class golf course from the start, uh, but I hear that used to hear that all the time with all the new courses being built. Boy, we want to build a course good enough for the Open, but these people really thought they could, and I wasn't quite sure either until you know maybe two three months into the job when I saw the commitment that all these d- uh, design folks were making with this project, uh, that the developer was spending so much time out there on this project. And then to have such a natural piece of property that uh, they pretty much left alone, uh, and 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 also getting the USGA involved in this project uh, before the course was even started. I mean that told me of the interest, mainly in the type of land that they had here. So, yeah, I, uh, I you know 60 days into this project, I thought there was an opportunity with with all the support they had from the USGA that this could really land the land the u.s open someday your company's done over a thousand projects i'm sure you learned something from each one that helps you with the next one what did you learn at aaron hills that's helped your company now more than a decade later oh boy uh first uh you know the commitment of people uh it's uh you know we hire a lot of people that are uh just totally committed not not so much that they love to play golf, but they're just committed to the game of golf and committed to the people in golf. And to see the, the, the developer on this golf course, it was so into this project. And the same with the architects. I mean, I, I, I learned a lot just from seeing them in action. And, and then, of course, the, the techniques to build this golf course. It just, it just shows you that you don't have to do things uh, the old way always. you sometimes thinking out of the box, like what Mike, Herdson did with the the grassing of this golf course, uh, the minimalism of the irrigation. It just so happens that that works in Wisconsin, where they get enough natural rain that in the fall, when you're trying to grow in the golf course, uh, you're going to get a little help from Mother Nature. You know, three years out of four, and uh, they have sprinkler a sprinkler system that 
really doesn't allow the owner to overwater the golf course. I think Mike Hurdson and Dana learned that uh, on some of the courses where the if you water fine fescue and you want it to be rough, it gets long and rank and it lays down. So in this case at Aaron Hills, that doesn't happen. So that's that and, you know, how we seeded it. Uh, Mike and killing all of this uh, fescue deep rough and uh, the native rough and turning it into fescue. No, I, I just learned a lot about uh, learned a lot about the USGA just being involved in this project. So, again, a lot of a lot of lessons learned. Last thing here, Bill. What's going to be going through your mind when you're at Aaron Hills watching the U.S. Open? What do you think you and the people associated with your company are going to be thinking in June when the the tournament's actually going on? Well, a couple things. It's going to be I'm going to be smiling from ear to ear. I'll tell you that. Just uh, I'll be thinking of my grandmother. I'll be thinking of my great grandmother that they were a part of this. I. I was able to get my mom and dad in their 90s into the barn, into into my mother's mother's barn that was moved to this world class site. I'm I'm just gonna have that feeling of pride. It's uh, uh, you know it's something that I'm probably only that's the only time I'll get to experience that unless they get the open again because it's going to be a long time I think before a, a brand new golf course gets a U.S. Open in the United States here. Well, Bill, this is wonderful. Thanks a lot for taking some time to join us, and thanks for everything you do for the, the golf industry. I know a lot of people appreciate what Landscapes Unlimited's done over the years. Well, thanks, Guy. Uh, I found a profession I really love and love getting up and doing it every day, but uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you.